How many of y'all have already been blessed today? Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I pray your continued blessing as we get into the word uh, today. I will uh, ask you all to go to Genesis 25, and uh, as you do so, please join me in a brief word of prayer. Uh, dear precious Heavenly Father, I, again, I thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. And Lord, may we ever trust in you that and hold firmly to your word. Your words like, he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Lord, we know we're not finished works. But our hope is not in our faithfulness, but in yours. You've begun a work, and you don't quit midstream. You finish what you start. We thank you, Father God, that though we're not a finished work, we're not fully what we are to be. We are no longer what we used to be. We are new creations in Christ. And Lord, we desire that you form Christ in us to a greater degree day by day by day. And Father God, I pray that you would whet our appetite for that. Father, speak to us today that we might be edified and grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what I would title today's message, and I did make a, uh, honestly, truth be told, I made a change to the original title this morning. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about two brothers, twin brothers, sons of Isaac, Jacob and Esau. Today, we're going to focus on Esau. You can't talk about one without talking about both, but today we're going to focus primarily on Esau, and we'll spend a week, maybe two talking about Jacob, and I think there's so much that is instructive for us that we can glean from the story of these, of these men. So the title of today's message is, Do Not Despise Your Birthright. Do not despise your birthright. And I'm going to get into the word, but I see my brother Mark over there, so I got to give him a go, pokes. Great work over there this, yesterday, brother. I know homecoming was, uh, you know, that was a great cherry on top. So, Praise the Lord. I know there's a lot of sacrifice involved in what you do and uh, I just commend you and your family because that sacrifice is shared and uh, it's got to be hard but y'all keep your nose to the grindstone you just keep your trust in God you keep persevering and you just trust God with the results 
And I'm not just talking about on the field. I'm talking about your family. You know, y'all raised a great family. Y'all are a great example. And, uh, and God is using you both in your profession and through your family life. And so I just want to commend you for, for the man and woman that you and Francis are and the blessing you've been to this body. Amen. Have you ever, speaking of sacrifice, have you ever given up something truly valuable for a momentary gain? It's probably a rhetorical question because probably all of us have done it, including yours truly. Esau is a character in the Bible who did exactly that. Gave up his long-term blessing to obtain a momentary pleasure. More specifically, he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And today we'll endeavor to look to discover the life applications that are available to us in this powerful story, this biblical testimony. Starting in verse 29 of Genesis chapter 25, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom, or red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, I want to linger there for a little bit. It says that Esau despised his birthright. What does it mean that Esau despised his birthright? He doesn't say, he doesn't say anything that it didn't come out of his mouth that he despised his birthright. Yeah. He certainly acted with blatant disregard concerning his birthright. And let's take a look at not only how he did it, but let's take a look at what was involved in his birthright. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's just go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And let's begin to study a little bit about what this birthright involves. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. Esau's grandfather is Abraham. God gave covenantal promises and blessings to Abraham. But not only to Abraham, but to his descendants after him. Esau's father is Isaac, the son of promise of Abraham's. And so the blessings that God gave Abraham is bestowed upon each generation that descends 
from Abraham. This isn't just your normal birthright. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is to ultimately be fulfilled through Christ. And, and, and the generations of Abraham would go on throughout time until, through the birth of Christ. And through Christ, all the families of the earth are blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You're not too old to get the call of God on your life. God spoke to Abraham and told him to leave and go to fulfill the promise of God on his life. And he was 75 years old when God did it. Don't you think that because you're 75 years old, you're, you know, God's call on your life is in the past. A fresh call. God can give you a fresh call. No matter what stage of life you are in. But this birthright, that is included in it. That's part of the birthright that belonged to Esau. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 18. One more verse that pertains to the birthright. And it says, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. This is after Abraham had been told by God to take Isaac, the son of promise, the one that was born to him at 100 years old, to go and sacrifice him at the altar. And Abram had the knife ready to do what God said. And the angel of the Lord stayed his hand and told him not to do it. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declared the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now see, Esau was not, by, not just by birth the recipient of these blessings. He was the caretaker of. He wasn't just an, inher uh, um, uh, an heir. He had responsibilities pertaining to it. And he did not rightly regard his responsibility concerning the covenantal promises that God gave to Abraham. And in there, there is a warning not to take lightly the things of God. 
Do not take sacred things and just treat them as familiar. But regard the sacred things of God as holy. Are y'all hearing me today? You know, too often I've looked at Esau as a victim of, of Jacob's deception. And yeah, to a degree he was. Jacob cannot be absolved of his behavior. But the thing that we got to realize is that Esau made himself subject to Jacob's deception. And we need to know how and why he made himself susceptible to it. He's not just a victim here. He's a perpetrator himself. And it was his own sin, his own lack of regard for the things of God, the spiritual covenant of God that led him to losing his birthright. It didn't get stolen from him. He gave it away. Or more accurately, he sold it. The firstborn son had allotted to him a double portion of his father's inheritance. So if there were two sons, the firstborn son would get two-thirds and the second son would get a third. He became the priest of the family. And he inherited the, the judicial authority of his father. Being firstborn was a nice gig. All of that was wrapped up in Esau's birthright. But Esau's birthright had even greater spiritual significance. And as I said earlier, the thing that made Esau's birthright especially precious was that it included his inheritance of God's covenantal promises and blessings to Abraham. So Esau traded a double portion, priestly position, and judicial authority in the family for stew. He gave up all of that for stew. Not a year's supply. A bowl of stew. One meal. He paid all of that for one meal. Not a lifetime supply. One meal. Esau selling his birthright indicated a lack of respect for his position, his privilege, and his responsibility before God. That he obtained not because he earned it, but by birth. Mm. You know, some of the things 
that had more value than I recognized in my life. Things that I treated as trivial were the things that I did not have to work for. These things were bequeathed to me. These things were given to me. And as a result, I did not fully appreciate their value, their importance. And I squandered those things for what amounted to a bowl of stew. I don't want anybody to answer out loud, of course, but how many, have you ever sacrificed something precious? Something of great value for what amounted to a bowl of stew. Think about the mindset of Esau for a second. As we read in Genesis chapter 25, it said that basically he was starving. Let's look at his own words. And as we do, I want you to just be thinking about that question. How often have we or do we sell our birthright for a bowl of stew? He comes in, he's hungry, he's exhausted. He's been out in the field, he's exhausted. Now, his brother Jacob has whipped up a meal. That meal has sustenance, that meal smells good. He can imagine it tastes good. That meal can satisfy his current situation. And so he asked for some. No harm in that. But Jacob, and we're not going to focus on him today, Jacob saw an opportunity and he seized it. He'd been told ever since he could understand the language that the, the prophetic message concerning his mother's pregnancy. When she asked, what's going on? What's this rumble going on in my stomach? And they said, there's two nations at war within you. You don't have just one baby in there kicking around. There's two. And they are struggling. They are fighting for favor. They are fighting for position. This fight that's in your womb will continue after they're born. And it won't stop when they're in the grave. This battle will go on for generations. And the younger, one of them will be stronger than the other, and the, and the older will serve the younger. He was told that. He knew that. I'm sure his mother Rebecca told him that many times. The Bible says that, that Isaac favored his son Esau. Rebecca favored her son Jacob. So we have favorites. These kids were set up to fight. They were twins and they couldn't look any different, any more different than they did. Imagine, you got this hairy red baby that comes out. And you got his twin brother holding on to his heel, coming out second. That, that looks totally different in appearance. No hair, 
Ball as he can be. Not red at all. I don't know exactly what his, you know, I can't, I don't have a color to describe his skin, but he wasn't red and hairy. And so they named him according to their, you know, according to either their appearance or their act. He came out this hairy red baby, they called him Esau. Like, what is this? And you got the second one. Imagine if a woman has had twins and the second baby is holding on to the heel of the first when it comes out the womb. And that's why he's called Jacob, which means supplanter. And boy, did he live up to his name. But here he is, ready to supplant. It's an opportunity here. See, Jacob doesn't know God like his father knows God. He doesn't know God like his grandfather knew God. But he knows about that word that him and his mother are clinging to. He knows about that word. And here's an opportunity. Oh, this dude is desperate. I have an opportunity to give my birthright. Let me, let me see how bad he wants this food. See, Jacob has to own his supplanting nature. It's not right that he did that to his brother. I don't care how justified he felt. It's not right. But he didn't force Esau to do anything. He gave Esau an offer. Hey, if you want this food, hey, Esau could have kicked his butt probably. And grabbed and taken a bowl of food. I'm not advocating that, but you know, you know how brothers can be. He could have grabbed a pot and said, try to stop me. And I don't believe Jacob was ready for that smoke. But fortunately for him, that's not the route Esau took. So he puts an ultimatum out there for him, and here's what Esau said. And I want y'all to pay close attention to this in verse 31 and 32 of Genesis 25. He said, Jacob said, sell me your birthright. We just, I just covered a couple of scriptures in Genesis to tell that really give, painted a picture for you the significance of this birthright. And Esau's response is, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? You know what that tells me? He's like, look, my current situation is pretty dire. It's pretty bad. Whatever this birthright means to me, that's in the future, a future I'm not sure that I'm going to live to see. What is a birthright going to do for me now when I'm starving? If I die of starvation, what good is a birthright to me? And so with that logic, he despised his birthright. His own reasoning, his own carnal knowledge caused him to devalue his birthright, to make it no, of no greater significance than a single meal. 
is significant to me because you'll be put in situations where you might have to, where you might feel you have to sacrifice the promises of God. How many people felt pressure? They felt like they were starving for love, starving for relationship. And a young man comes along and says, I'm willing to give you that, but you got to give up your virtue. And the poor young lady, not knowing what the future holds, feels the pressure to give up that which is precious before God for what amounts to a bowl of stew. That's the compromise that we're often challenged and asked to accept. And in that moment, we're tempted not to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. But in all our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. We're not looking at him as Jehovah Jireh, the one who will provide. We're looking at what we don't have and how desperate we want what we don't have. And we have somebody in our face offering me something. And they're requiring something of me. That deep down I know is unholy. Deep down I know it's ungodly. Deep down I know it's not the will of God. But I'm desperate. And this precious daughter of God ends up despising the promise of God for the stew that's put in her face. And there's consequences that ensue from that. Nothing that's irredeemable. It's easy, easier than we would like to think to despise our birthright. If we don't remember scripture verses like Jennifer shared today, if we don't remember the things that we sang about in worship, if we don't remember the promises of God and regard them as holy, as regard and, and, and regard them as eternal, as set in stone, as ours, and that how important they are and how immeasurable they are in their worth. Nothing on this earth is worth sacrificing the promises of God, sacrificing the truth of God. Are you hearing me? Nothing. Nothing is worth it. Not even the threat of our own lives is worth sacrificing. The promises and blessings of God. But that's where, but that gives uh, insight into his thinking. He's a man focused on material things. He's a man focused on what he can see, not what he can hope for. 
is a, you know, he, he is not focused on the will of God or what pleases God. He is focused on what he can cash in on. And Jacob took advantage of that. And this man practically gave away his precious birthright. So as we ponder that, the ridiculousness of him giving his birthright, that magnificent birthright, for a single meal. I hope it's difficult for us to see. Let me rephrase that. I hope it's not difficult for us to see how often we have done the same thing. Maybe you're doing the same thing now. Congratulations, I'm glad you're here. I am not getting off your toes at all today. You're here because God wants you here. He wants to speak to you where you're at because he wants you free. He does not want you to compromise what belongs to you in Christ Jesus, what Jesus died on the cross and rose again to give you. These very great and precious promises, and they are our inheritance, and we have a responsibility to them. To regard those promises as precious and holy, as beyond work, beyond measurable work. So that we don't give those things or sell any of those things away for the cheap thing that has only a momentary benefit. So I hope you're pondering any thing, any situation where you might be have done or are doing the same thing that Esau did. And I want you to see whatever that temptation is, whatever that alternative that's offered to you, I want you to see it in your mind as a bowl of red stew being offered to you. And I want you to consider the value of a bowl of stew, which in this economy today is, is still is overpriced anyway, I'm sure. But regardless, regardless of how overpriced it is, it cannot be priced enough to be worth what we have in the Lord. Two things I want you to notice from those two passages that uh, we read about Abraham. God gave him those promises. It's important that we don't just take for granted or skim by Abraham's response in both of those promises. God gave him the promises. 
as he gave him a command that he must obey in order for those promises to come to pass. And Abraham, in both cases, did what God said. He left his people. He left his land and went to a foreign land. He went to the land of Canaan. Because God promised that that land was going to belong to him and his descendants. Are you hearing me? It was a, he went there only on a promise of God. Yet to be fulfilled. And when he got there, God says, this is the, this is the land. That will be your inheritance. For you and your descendants after you. And when he was asked to, when he was commanded by God to sacrifice his son, he said that he obeyed. He said, hey, either God's going to stay in my hand and provide an alternative, or this great God of mine, I know he's capable of raising my son back from the dead. Either way, he gave me a promise. And he's going to keep his promise. My trust is in him. Are you hearing me? So, when God has a promise for us and a blessing for us, it's tied to our following in his way. I know we live in, 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 in the dispensation of grace and, and salvation is by grace through faith. But don't get it twisted. There is a way of the Lord that we are expected to walk in. Be ye holy, for the Lord your God is holy. And then we have to yield our members to his righteousness. He says he wants disciples, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Now we're able to do it. And this is part of the miracle working provision of the cross we're now able to do it in Christ, whereas we were not able to do it apart from him because we were in bondage to sin. But we are new creations in Christ Jesus now. We're not only saved for eternity that where he is, we will be also, but we can be living witnesses for him now because we in Christ are no longer slaves to the passions of our, our bodies or our desires we have a, we're free to yield our members to him and show people not only that it's doable, but who made it possible. That's the gospel. It's part of the gospel message. Amen? So we can trust God to bring that special somebody into our lives without settling for a bowl of stew. without settling for a moment of pleasure that might come with a lifetime of baggage and regret. How many people seek drugs or a bowl of stew? 
How many people for which drugs are a bowl of stew? Alcohol. Success, fame, glory, all kinds of whatever it is. It may not have to be an obvious perceived negative pursuit. Nothing wrong with the bowl of stew. What was wrong was what he was willing to give up to get it. And I want you to know your value, know your worth to God. Not only your value and worth, but know the value and worth of the things of God that you carry, that are yours in Christ. I want to, I want you to skip over to Genesis chapter 27 and we will do, start at verse 30. But this Esau guy, man, he really got done wrong here in in chapter 27. So did his father, Isaac. But I want us to see something here that I think is very important that can help us Stay on the straight and narrow before God. But Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. Now, Jacob and Rebekah, uh, I'll, I'll just glance through this real quick. But Isaac told Esau to go out and hunt game, bring it back prepared like he loves it so that he can bless him. Because he felt like he didn't know how many more days or years he had on this earth. He wanted to give him the blessing that should go to him. Rebecca overheard it. And after Esau left, she went and got Jacob. And they came up with their conspiracy to deceive Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing that he intended to give to Esau. And after they successfully pulled off that fraud and got Isaac to give Jacob what should have been Esau's blessing. We pick it up in verse 30. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared a delicious food delicious food, and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. What, What just happened cannot be undone. He shall be blessed, is what he says. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out, with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Supplanter. Is he not rightly named? This guy who victimized me. Right? He, he's only rewinding the tape back to the offense that portrays him as a victim. 
He has the audacity. He's coming up to get his father's blessing as though he hadn't already sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And if he had not done that, right, what just happened wouldn't have the significance that it has. So they're both tied together. If he had not despised his birthright, this coup, if you will, could not have been the success that it became. So his problem isn't just Jacob. His problem is, his, is himself. Nobody made him give up what was his right by birth. He yielded that cheaply. And I'm just going to challenge y'all, don't yield what's yours through your spiritual birth, rebirth in Christ. Don't yield what is your right, your birthright, cheaply. And he's mad, he's wroth. That's a planter. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. Did, 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 did Jacob actually cheat him the first time? Yeah. Jacob didn't promise him a lifetime supply of soup, stew, I'm sorry, and only gave him one. Jacob gave him what he agreed to give up his birthright for. That's a foolish deal on Esau's part. He wasn't tricked. And so I want you to know, someone may have taken advantage of you in some way or another. I want you to not look past your cooperation in the deception. Because if you do, you won't learn anything from it. You won't gain any understanding or wisdom as a result of it. If all you see is yourself as the victim, then that's all you're going to ever be. There is wisdom to be gained through this that we can apply to life, and I want to make sure that we do it. In every situation, even when the other person's intentions prove to be internally self-serving and, uh, I'll say, evil, evil intent. If you only focus on them, you will be blind to what you did, to the part that you played that made you vulnerable to their deception. And I tell you what, there's something for us to learn we can walk in wisdom. We can walk in discernment. We can walk in the revelation that's available to us by God without us being tripped up. But whatever, the, the thing that Esau, that tripped up Esau is in his, his fleshly appetites apparently meant more to him than the spiritual blessings and promises of God. And when it came time to choose one over the other, he chose to satisfy his fleshly appetites. And 
rather than looking demonizing people and and only seeing ourselves as a victim, we need to consider whether our fleshly appetites are setting us up for compromise concerning the things that we should treasure and die protecting. Amen? So he comes in, and look at his desperation. He has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing? My father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. He lifted up his voice and wept. And part of that weeping was, see, when it became important to him, was after he had already given it away. But there's another thing to learn here from Esau. He wasn't mad. The reason for his anger, his frustration, his weeping, wasn't because he now regarded as precious the promises of God. But he had all this inheritance, this authority, this wealth. <laughs> he's, he's, he's still thinking earthly. And now it's become realized by him the impact on his future wealth, his future earning potential, his future prospects of what his brother has done for him, uh, done against him. And that's the thing that he is lamenting. Jacob's not much better. I mean, he's not doing it to glorify God. He, he, he's, he's doing it because he wants those positions and things. But the difference is that God marked Jacob in his own divine wisdom, in his own divine plan. Jacob was marked before they ever came out of the womb. And somehow, some way, God was going to infer the blessing on Jacob. Either way, I don't believe Rebecca and Jacob had to scheme their way. I don't believe it was God endorsed. But when I go through the book of Hebrews and, and the hall of faith and, and chapter 11 and then go to chapter 12, it, it doesn't say that Jacob despised the promises of God. It says that Esau did. Jacob may not have fully understood everything about the promises of God, but he knew they were precious. He knew they were valuable. He knew that they were something to go after. And he went after them. Esau, on the other hand, was not mindful. Did not regard them as precious. They were no more important to him than a bowl of stew. Let that not be our testimony. As sons and daughters of God, let that not be true about us. But let us go after 
the truths of God. Let's go after him. Let's go after his promises with all that is within us. Even if we don't fully understand the significance of it, let that, let, let, let that not hinder our pursuit, our zealous pursuit to know him more, to know his word, to know those promises and have them settled in our hearts because they, as they, like him, are our primary pursuit. And I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to wrap this up in, in just reading Psalm 119. And then I'll just give a, you know, just give a couple of things that, that I wanted you to get through this. Things that Esau needed to hear and needed to embrace and things that we need to embrace as well too. I'm going to read out of Psalm 119 starting with the first verse. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Esau didn't have his eyes fixed. He was put to shame as a result. I will promise you, I'm, I'm sorry, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart. Everybody say whole heart. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Here we go. See, that's properly valuing the word of God. See, in the way of your testimonies or your word, your promises, your precepts, your truth, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You know what? That, 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 that's an attitude. That's a focus. That is an intentionality that will not settle for the bowl of stew when it's offered as an alternative to walking in the way and word of the Lord our God. That was the first 16 verses of Psalm 119. So a couple of light takeaways. Don't be like, be like you saw. Don't, don't ever make any promises lightly particularly as it pertains to your relationship with God the word of God the promises of God don't don't be pulled into a bartering situation 
where someone is requiring you to compromise what you have in God to appease the desires of the flesh. It will lead it will lead you to the same point that it led Esau to. Despair. Frustration. Anger. You know how Esau comforted himself? After he realized his blessing had been taken, there was nothing he could do about it. You know how he comforted himself? He said, the days of my father's mourning are soon to come. Now that my father's gone, I'm going to murder my brother. Yeah, he got me. That's how I'll get my blessing back, though. I'll kill the one who took it from me. It, it, it seemed like his father, you know, his father was old. 160-ish. It seemed like his death would soon come. 43 years later, his daddy's still alive. And it never came to pass in the time that he expected. He expected, give it a couple of years. I have everything that my heart desired. I'll have my birthright and all that. I'll be able to profit as I wish. And God was like, yeah, right. Rebecca got word about his intention and got Jacob out of there to go, to go live with a family member. And we'll talk about Jacob in it. But Jacob is not an innocent. Jacob hustled his way to get everything that he got. And he didn't do it to glorify God. He did it to benefit himself. But God's going to deal with him. And there's a little Jacob in all of us too. And God's going to deal with us <laughs> as it pertains to that. But there's a little Esau in all of us too. And God is speaking to that today. What God has for you is too precious to barter. Too precious to be for sale. For a bowl of stew or anything else. And I guess the last thing I'll say before I close it up is don't be such a prisoner of the moment that you act in ways that despise your long-term future blessing in God. Esau was a prisoner of the moment. What's the birthright mean to me in this moment? In this moment, this food that's in my face is more important, is more needful, is more potentially beneficial to me than something in the future. That I don't know fully how that's going to materialize in my life. Let's deal with the here and now. You know what? There's nothing wrong with dealing with the here and now, but, let's, but when you are mortgaging the future for the here and now, you're out of order. And when you are mortgaging the future blessing of God to appease the flesh now, you're out of order. 
And you need to repent from that because you're despising the thing you should regard as holy. God is not mocked. He's going to deal with that. There's nothing that you've done that is beyond God's grace. There's nothing that you've done that is not redeemable. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. God's word deals with it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living. It's active. And I trust that it's dealing with the hearts that it needs to deal with. In whatever way is necessary. You belong to God. He chose you. In Christ. He openly, Jesus himself openly suffered the cross for us. This thing is all neat and polished, and we can't see the beaten and battered and bruised body that hung from it. The blood spatters and stains. The gory scene that played out before it. But he did it openly for us, despising. You know what he did? Jesus despised too. But he despised the shame of the cross. In other words, he disregarded. The shame of the cross was, was nothing compared to the treasure that was us in his eyes. I'm not running from the pain of the cross. I'm not running from the shame of it. They are too important. They're too valuable. They're too big of a treasure. I'm looking for the joy that was set before me. I will endure this. So he did it openly. Making an open show of the devil. You can do it openly before man. Acknowledge to him that, you know, here is what I have given up. I hold in my hand the bowl of stew that I accepted in exchange. for what was right and pure in God. And I want you to just do business with God and just declare to God right where you're at. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what it is in this moment. I don't care what it is, but I'm just going to open up the front and just allow anyone who would, I'm not begging anybody. I'm not going to linger for five, ten minutes trying to coax people up here. You're either moved to respond to God in this way or not. And if not, you know, that's, that's okay too. This is your relationship with God. So anyone, if you have been convicted today, 
that in any way that you have sacrificed that which is precious in God for what a manner to a bowl of stew and you want to come before the altar of God and just declare your repentance from that and your commitment to treasure the promises of God above any and all things, then there's your opportunity. Just come on up and find an open place, and I'll just let you do business with God. Father, I just thank you for the hearts, those who are moved to respond to you, Lord, that you spoke to them right where they're at. Spiritually, they have the bowl of soup in their hands. And they have consumed it. Hallelujah. And Father God, I just I just pray for my brother, Father God, and, and Lord, let him not be consumed with guilt and self-condemnation, Father God, but Father God, let him be infused with hope. Let him know that he is here by your goodness because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So, Father God, you're a good God. You're a good father to this brother, Father God. And I just thank you for your forgiveness of him, Father God. And I just thank you for the redemption that is his in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, you can redeem the years that the canker worm has destroyed. And, and, and so, Lord, uh, so, Lord, there is not a story that is not redeemable. Lord, as we get into this story, this, this battle between these two boys, these two twins, Father God, ends in reconciliation. We thank you for the reconciliation that we have in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father God, and I just pray your blessing on him in Jesus' name.